trying. Okay, we're in Hebrews 10. We finished up Hebrews 9 last week, so go ahead and turn there if you don't have a Bible with you, if you forgot one, or you just don't have one in general. There's a couple over here on the bar. Feel free to get up and grab one. If you're too nervous to get up and grab one, I will grab one for you, because nobody seems to get up. So if you need one, I'll get you one. Just let me know. Okay. It's page 650 and 651, I think. Um, it's where we are, Hebrews 10. And just like the rest of Hebrews, this is going to pick up right in the middle of, of where we've been. And uh, in the last couple of weeks, the author in chapter 8 and 9, he's been describing, kind of comparing and contrasting the old covenant and the new covenant. And the differences between those and, and the difference in the circumstances of, of how those, those covenants were arranged. And we talked a little bit about what in the world is a covenant in the first place. It's, it's a kind of agreement, a kind of relationship that God has entered into with people. <clears throat> and in the Old Covenant, in the, in we, we say Old Testament, the old, older part of the Bible, the first part of the Bible we call Old Testament, which really relates to the Old Covenant. And that's when God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you descendants, and you're going, to have a lot of, you're going to have a lot of kids. They're going to be more numerous than the stars, which the more we learn about the universe seems more and more ridiculous. Um, I don't, just a side note. Um, so you're going to have this big family. So they, they grow, and, and God brings them out of Egypt, and he, he gives them the law, which is what you read about in Leviticus, the stuff that we generally consider in our culture kind of, at, at the very least, distant. You might have stronger feelings than that, but at the very least, you, you, we usually think, man, this is so different. Um, he gives them this law and, and, and a way to live, and he brings them and says, I'm going I'm to be your God, and you're going to be my people, and we're going to live together. But you're sinful, and, and we have problems. We can't just pretend that everything is okay because you guys are still separated from me. So he, he puts into, into law some, some regulations. They can't, they can't just approach God flippantly. They had these priests who, who did it for them, and, and one in particular, a high priest, who would go in front of God and mediate for the people. And he also... Um, instituted these sacrifices, the sacrificial system where they would, they would daily sacrifice animals, which seems weird to us again, but they would sacrifice these animals to, to essentially plead for forgiveness for their sins because a punishment had to be exacted on the disobedient. And we understand this. We understand justice, right? We have a justice system here. So it's not too, that idea is not too foreign. The idea that if you break a law, you have to somehow make recompense. You have to, you have to, that, that somehow has to be made right. So the way that they made it right back then, rather than God just saying, okay, well, we're going to put you in prison or we're going to kill you. We're going to kill these animals on your behalf. And, and make sacrifice for your sins, and they accept the punishment instead of you. So that was kind of the old covenant system, where they lived in that for a really long time. But when Christ came, he instituted something new, a new covenant. So he changed the whole system. And it's not that he just tore it all down and said, forget about all that. But he fulfilled all of that stuff in a way that, that people could not. So we learned about in Hebrews 8, how the new covenant doesn't just 
meet these qualifications for justice, like justice is not just done in that Christ has now died, but also more than that, we are sanctified. We're reformed people now. It, it goes above and beyond just forgiveness. It goes to transformation because when Christ left, he said, I'm going I'm to send my Holy Spirit and he's going to live in you and it's going to be way better than having me just sit here and talk to you. And it is. And rather than Rather than living under this kind of code that we have to go refer to in, a, in an external sense where maybe we go and, and learn under a teacher or we, we read a book in order to, to fully understand these things, rather than just doing that, now we have the spirit living inside of us enabling us to understand these things, to remember these things, to live out these things most specifically. So because of what Christ has done in this new covenant, we have more than just forgiveness. We have new life in a real sense. And Paul says that if, if we are in Christ, then we're a new creation. So that's, that was not language that you used in the old covenant. But now because of what Christ has done, we have that. And we talked about how the blood that Christ offered was, was, so, was, was so much better than the sacrifices of animals. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here today, but how, how it didn't just, again, provide us with forgiveness, but it cleansed us. It, it's able to, to purify our consciences. It's able to get rid of that guilt of the sins that we've committed, both the sins that we've committed and the ones that have been committed against us. And now we're, 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 we're cleaned out from all that, if we're in Christ. And last week we just talked about the necessity of Christ's death and how we, we needed him to do that. We needed him to, to offer himself to God on our behalf because our situation was grim. We, we don't often spend a whole lot of time just thinking about how sinful we are, at least not in a good way. Oftentimes, when, we, when we're thinking about our sin, we're thinking about how guilty we are and how, how awful we are as people. And, and we, we often allow that to kind of accuse us and, and make us feel like maybe we're not Christians or anything like that. We didn't think about it in that sense. We thought about it more in the sense that our, our sin was so terrible that it necessitated these these horrible things, what we would consider horrible things, things that we don't want to pay attention to, things we don't want to look at, we don't want to talk about when we talk about Christianity with, with people who have never heard because it's just weird, it sounds weird, talking about cutting open animals' throats and, slit, and you know, collecting this blood and splattering it on people, and now Christ is doing the same thing, it's just weird. But that is meant to, to demonstrate the seriousness of, of our predicament. Like, you, it's not just like a wrist slap that you deserve. You deserve death. And you see that in this old covenant and in Christ's new covenant, something had to die for you. And that death that you don't want to look at and you don't want to talk about with people is the death that you deserved. Um, and, and we ought to think about that and we ought to let that kind of sink in and and, and take root in our hearts so that we can realize how much we needed this. 
So we're going to carry on in chapter 10. I know that's a lot of review, but I feel like, you know, we have new people kind of moving in and out every week, so I don't, I don't want to leave everybody behind because this is so interconnected, so hopefully that's helpful. Um, so we're in chapter 10, and we're going to go through verses 1 through 18, and it's going to be some familiar stuff, but we're going to, we're going to try to look at it in, in, in new and helpful ways. So verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, you being God, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins no more and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So, remember who he's writing to. Uh, he's writing to Jews, right? This book is called Hebrews. So, he's writing to Jews in the first century and... And they are coming from this old covenant where this was just day in, day out, a part of their life. And, and it, was not, it was not easy for them, not all of them, to give up these, these old covenant ways. They, many of them struggled with these things and they actually fought for some of these things to continue to be observed. So he's making a case here that because of what Christ has done, these sacrifices are no longer necessary. And if the, if the old sacrifices had been able to accomplish anything meaningful, then they would not have recurred in the way that they did. Like they were, again, they were happening two times a day. And then that once a year, they had this day of atonement for the entire nation. The high priest would meet with God and they'd sacrifice a bull. So this happened. That's why he says this is a yearly reminder that that this is not done. It's, it's something that just continues on. And it's, it's like cleaning your house. It's never going to get done as long as you live in that house. Uh, because it's going to get dirty over and over and over again. And it's like, 
You can never be perfect is kind of the, the concept here because as long as it's ongoing, it's never done. So that's the, that's the whole gist of this statement. He's trying to, this, this whole section of 18 verses, that's, that's it, is to say Christ did this once and, and since he only did it once, now he's in front of God mediating for us. He doesn't have to do it again. It's the perfect sacrifice. And, and now this, this old way of doing things is not something we have to you know, feel guilty about or return to because it's done. If you've lived in church for, for most of your life like I have, it's like, okay, that's what it says. So I feel like this is another one of those sections where this is just the gospel. And, and for some of us, we, we, we kind of, again, nod our head and say, yeah, I've heard the gospel before. But we can't, we can't just say, yeah, moving on. So this is going to be another week where we, where we spend time just focusing on the basics and, and hopefully, again, see these things perhaps for the first time. I've already prayed for some of us. I hope that we see these things for the first time if we haven't already. But, but if, we've already, if we already profess Christ and we already know these things, then we have to remind ourselves of these things and to try to know them more deeply because this, this is central to who we are, and, and it's more than just quiz material, where it's like, yeah, I get it, I, I passed the quiz, and now moving on. It's, it's something that ought to affect your day-to-day, the same way that it affected their day-to-day. But instead of offering sacrifices, we, we live as Christ, live in light of that sacrifice. So... Let's just go through here and kind of look at, at the text itself. So the first few verses there where he's kind of comparing in, uh, the old and the new. He's saying, uh, since, since the law has but a shadow of good things. He talked about this earlier in chapter 8, how, how the, the temple situation and the, that environment and all the rituals that they had to carry out, that was a shadow. That was not, that was not the final reality. The things that are talked about here on earth, the things that we've seen through the Jews and through Christ's work, these things, or sorry, just the, just the, just the Jews in the Old Testament, those, those things, those rituals were meant to point us to something. It wasn't something where we were supposed to uh, idolize that situation. It was something that was supposed to make us think, this isn't enough. We need more than this. We need a heavenly reality of these things. We need the fulfillment of these things. That's the point of the shadow. That's the point of the old covenant. And, and you see this later on. Some people did get that. The, the faithful in Israel did understand that those things were just supposed to be shadows. You see this often with David in particular, King David. In a lot of the Psalms, he writes prophetic things. When he looks back at the old covenant, he says, this is not, this is not ideal. He, he looks at those things and he says, this is not ideal. We need, we need more than this. We need, we need something perfect to come and to, 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 in a sense, wipe away all these things, to give us the real and, and, and enough of this, this halfway stuff. And that's what you see later on when, in verse 5, 
he says, when Christ came into the world, he said, this is interesting, because I'm not sure that this is quoting, actually it is, I I believe, in Mark. This is quoting a section in Mark. But this was written in Psalms, verses 5, 6, and 7, where he says, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. So that is from Psalms, and that's that's a sentiment that you see several times in the Old Testament. A lot of people are looking at the situation and they're saying, man, what a mess. This, I mean, it's, it's beautiful that God has, has brought us close to him, but at the same time, it's incomplete. And, and we, need, we need more than this. So David meditates on these things and he says, sacrifices and offerings you, don't, you have not desired. Which is kind of a crazy thing to say. Did he walk up and then tell the priests... Let's just stop with this, because this is not what God wants. It's not what he said. And that's kind of, footnote, it's kind of interesting that the Jews today, they kind of lean on, on this concept, because they don't have, if you walk up to a modern day Jew and talk about, you know, what about sacrifices? Um, well, they would say, well, we don't have the temple anymore. The temple was destroyed in Rome, and, and, and God doesn't desire sacrifices. He desires obedience. Interesting for them to say that. Because none of us can be totally obedient. And that was the point. When David looked at the old law, he was saying, we can't live up to this and and we need more than this. So that's kind of a fault in in present day understanding of Judaism. It's like they they want to pretend that they're they're able to be obedient. But the point is, without without sacrifice, without a perfect sacrifice, you you can't... do this. You can't live perfectly. So David looks at this and he says, we, we need more than sacrifices. We need to do the will of God. So Jesus, when he, when he comes into the world, he's able to live this life being perfectly God, being fully God and fully man. He's able to live this life. He comes in and he says, I am able to fulfill these things. These people could not, if they wanted to, they could not live this life. But I'm able to do the will of God. And therefore, I don't have to lean on sacrifices of bulls and goats. Because he was able to live that life perfectly. He followed the law perfectly, doing what none of us could ever do. So when he comes on the scene, he says these things. He's, behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So, he fulfills all these things, and, and he's instituting something new, which is what verse 8 continues to say. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then he added, behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. So, Jesus speaks with authority. And it says this multiple times of him when he's teaching them, he speaks with authority. He, he comes in and he's, he's, he's not rewriting, but he's adding an addendum, I guess, where he's saying, that's not all there is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add more to this. I'm going to complete this. Another footnote. I think that it's interesting here, you got this parenthetical statement here, where it says in uh, verse 8, the end of verse 8, where it says, these are offered according to the law. Um, 
this, this might just help us in understanding kind of when we're reading this. Um, it's not central to what I'm talking about today. He, he's describing sacrifices. He says, sacrifices, offerings, burn offerings, sin offerings. And then in that apostrophe, he says, these are offered according to the law. I feel like him having to explain that means that he might be writing to an audience of people who, who either... There, there, there must be some in this audience to this letter that either aren't Jews or aren't... They don't understand fully this whole situation. Because why would you have to say these are offered according to the law? If you're a Jew, then it's like, duh. Burn, you know, sacrifices, offerings, burn offerings, sin offerings... These are offered according to the law. That's not very helpful for a Jew who knows in and out the law. He knows the sacrifices. You're making an argument based purely on sacrifices, so why would you say that? Um, I feel like maybe he's trying to help out some people who, who aren't native to that situation, which is it's very few times he's done that in Hebrews. Uh, a lot of times he just kind of makes statements and then moves on. I just thought that was interesting. It's not central, again, to what we're talking about. So... So Christ comes in and he establishes this new covenant. And it says, verse 10, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And he starts talking about, again, differences between what Jesus has done and what the old priests did. We, we've already established that he's a better high priest. I mean, Hebrews spends a lot of time talking about that that idea that Jesus is not only our high priest, he's a lot better than any of the old priests. But here's another sense in which his work is better. Because it says in verse 11 that those priests, they went in and they did their job and they stood daily doing work, essentially. They served day in and day out and their work was never finished. And again, we've already seen earlier in Hebrews how not only did they have to continuously do this work, but they were sinful themselves. So they weren't just offering sacrifices and doing this work just for the other people. They were also having to do it for them to maintain their own status before God. But, but when Christ steps in, he does the work once. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So he came in, did it once, walked up to God, that's figurative, uh, and, and sat down, and it was done. And that, that's incredible. They were given no, they were given no, no break time, like, yeah, go home for the night, rest up, but tomorrow you're coming back again to do this work again until you die. This will be your job, doing these sacrifices, doing this service. And that was their reality. That's what they lived in. But Christ came once, and it was done, and he sat down. And this is why I think we can call it the good news because it's not... It's not something that you have to struggle with to earn day in and day out. But it's something that, that Christ did 
and it's done. And, and we struggle with this, I think, because you see in other parts of, of the Bible, we don't, we're not absolutely certain that Paul wrote Hebrews, but Paul did write other epistles where he's telling the early Christians, don't, don't be tricked into thinking that you have to keep living under this old covenant in the, sense, the same sense that, that, that we used to, because... Because people were going around saying, well, well, don't we still need to be circumcised? And don't we still need to, to observe some of these things, the dietary laws and all these, these little particulars? And, and Paul says, no. Because if you go back to that, you're saying essentially that Jesus wasn't, wasn't enough. Like he didn't, he didn't fulfill all of that. He didn't say one and done and it's over with and, and you don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. You, you're forsaking Jesus by doing that. So I don't, I think that for us, we don't, we don't struggle in the sense that we're arguing for circumcision or for dietary laws or for cutting animals open in church and, and splattering blood on people. Like we're not fighting for the old covenant, but I think that we, we sometimes do fight for, or we have this kind of common understanding that we somehow are involved in salvation, in earning our salvation. And that's common, I think, to all of us. And it's definitely common when you look at other, other kinds of religions. Just about every other kind of religion that's out there, or any other, any other job, any, anything, really wants to make you believe that if you work hard enough, you can earn this. If you, if you put in the time, and the discipline, then maybe, with a little bit of luck also, you can achieve. You, you can reach enlightenment. You can be reincarnated as this better person. You can get that job you always wanted. You can, you know, all these different things. We're kind of in these different environments where we're conditioned to think, if I just work hard enough, if I do enough, I will, I will earn this. So while we don't speak in the same terms, we're not fighting for the old covenant. A lot of us do fight for, for us, for us being a part of this, as though it hinged on us, as though you coming to church every week makes you a better Christian. I would argue next week in a sense that it does. But, but it doesn't earn your salvation. In terms of the process of salvation, your work has nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. Kind of let that sink in. And so, your adherence to this does not, to to the law of God, to, to being a good person, does not earn your salvation. It also means you can't lose what you didn't earn for yourself. This was all Jesus. Nothing about what he did was dependent on us. All that's required of us to take part in this is faith.
And the only other reference I'll make is Ephesians 2.8, which a lot of us have heard. I actually couldn't, I, I knew the verse without remembering where it was, and I had to look it up this morning, because I was like, I know, I know it's in there. Um, now, I'm, even now, I'm struggling to turn to it. I'll start in, in four and, and read through. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We didn't, we didn't do any of this. We didn't earn our position and, and, and the law didn't purchase salvation for us. It was obedience, which the law again told us we couldn't be perfectly obedient. Christ had to do this for us. So, we are perfected for all time because of Christ and what he has done. And it's interesting we don't earn it, but living obediently is a result of this, this situation, the salvation that we have received. I think it's pretty cool that the Trinity essentially is in this, this section of verses, 1 through 18, because right here in 15 it says, The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So Christ comes to do the will of God to, to enable in us the Holy Spirit's presence so that then we can be obedient. And so that then we can live our lives like we're supposed to. So when I say things like, you can't earn your salvation and your obedience does not prove yourself in front of God and it doesn't make you a better Christian, what I'm, what I'm really trying to say, try, try not to say in response, are you saying that I don't have to abide by the law whatsoever? I can go murder people, live the way I want to, and it doesn't matter. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, and catch the difference, is that nothing that you do, good or bad, can earn your right to salvation. Do you kind of get the difference? And nothing that you do can, can, can lose the salvation for you if you are in Christ. Because it was, never, it was never you in the first place, it was Christ who did it. And we've already talked about some of the specifics of that kind of argument, so I'm not, if, you want, if you have more questions about that, then let me know. But, but 
because of what Christ did, we now earn this through, through grace, God's grace, and that all we have to do is respond in faith to him. This is, this is the gospel. We could, we could try to come in here and nitpick over some of the little, the little you know, syntax and semantics and, and all the specifics in this verse, which I'm prone to do, but this, this, is, this is the gospel, and, and it's pretty straightforward. I mean, there's nothing overly complicated about this, and I don't want to try to make it overly complicated, because all that it takes for us to be reconciled to God is, is, is our faith in Christ, who did this once for everybody, and in doing so, he's able to purify us. I could say a whole lot more about that, but, but the Spirit is, I, the Holy Spirit, I believe, is the one who is going to take this and do something with it in us. So it doesn't matter how long I'm standing up here, how, how many points I make or try to make, the Holy Spirit has to make this come alive in us, has to make us rely on Christ. Realize, if you're already saved, that your day-to-day behavior is not upholding your Christianity. It's not, it's not earning this salvation as though it's this meter that's constantly fluctuating. It's something that either is or is not. Either you have faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you or you don't. We've, we've seen throughout Hebrews, it says, just remember Christ. The only thing that's necessary for you to not fall away is just to remember Christ. So remember this, that Christ died once, and that one time was enough for you and everybody for all time, no matter what. So as we, as we go through our day, and as we... We, we question ourselves. Pray for the Holy Spirit's help so that he would enable these things in you. But don't question for a second whether or not Christ's sacrifice was enough for you or whether or not it can sustain you. Because it can. Because after he did it once, he went right beside God and sat down. And now he's waiting, it says until the end, when he's going to come back. We could probably say more. If you have more to say, talk to us during lunch. That's part of why we're here. We can continue to have these conversations. But I think that that's, that's it. Christ died to save sinners. We are sinners. We need Christ. If that's you, if you feel like I have not, I have not accepted this, then I pray that the Holy Spirit would do something in your heart because I'm, I'm not able to. I can't convince you to believe these things, but I pray that the Holy Spirit would do that right now. If that's already you and you say, I've already professed faith in Christ, then just allow these things to encourage you and allow them to point you in the right direction and to realize that I don't have to give a sacrifice every day, day in and day out to earn this, but I do need to pay attention to Christ day in and day out and look to his sacrifice and let that be enough for me. Let's pray.
Father God, we're not, we're not good enough. We're not good enough and we can't do enough and, and we, can't, we can't improve our situation contrary to the, the belief of our culture and really the world at large that says that in most circumstances, if you just work hard enough, if you just put some effort into it, then you can be the kind of person you want to be and you can, you can do the kinds of things that you want to do. Well, that's, that's sadly not true here. We cannot, we cannot earn this for ourselves. And, and more than anything, we need Christ and what he's purchased for us. And what we need to remember as Christians is that Christ has done this for us and there's nothing that we can do to make it any better or any worse. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, as we talk about these, these basic gospel truths, I pray that you would make them known in our hearts, especially in the hearts of those who, who do not yet understand. I pray that you would cause them to understand even now. I'm not able to do that. But you are, and so I pray that you would, and that you would grow this church, and, and that you would give us such faith in this, that it would be unshakable, such faith in Christ and what he has done, that we would not for a moment back down and think that somehow Christ was not enough for me, because Christ he is everything. He is, he is God. He's infinite. He, he had a hand in creating everything. And if he comes down here and says, my sacrifice is enough for you, then I pray that that would give us confidence, an otherworldly kind of confidence, a supernatural confidence that would, that would cause us to do crazy things, risks, for the sake of Christ, so that others could hear the same message. Because there are other people out here, we have friends, we have family members, we have neighbors that, that don't get this. They don't get that, that Jesus was enough. Jesus is enough for them. So I pray that that, that reality would be would be made manifest, that the Holy Spirit would, would cause that message to live inside of us. Just as it talked about right there at the end of those verses, that, that the Holy Spirit would, 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 make, would make a witness for himself in our lives, cause us to talk about these things, cause us to live every day in light of these sacrifices. Cause us to respond right now with joy and with gratitude and with exuberance or brokenheartedness, repentance. Teach us during this time to, to value Christ and to go after him. And in Jesus' name. 
Amen.